Hey, Blenders, on this week's show, we react to the Oscars. We announce our wager winner, Shazam! Fury of the Gods hits theaters, and we sit down with director David Sandberg. Hello, Blenders, and welcome, welcome to episode number 253 of Real Blend, a podcast that's holding its after party at CGI Fridays, baby. Damn See right. you there! We'll see you there. Damn on this right. week's show. <laughs> we're reacting to the Oscars. Uh, we're going to announce our wager winner, Shazam! Fury of the Gods is hitting theaters. And because of that, director David Sandberg sat down with the crew to discuss his Shazam sequel. Um, and by the crew, I mean myself, Sean O'Connell, the managing editor of Cinema Blend, even though I wasn't part of that interview. <laughs> Uh, but it was handled beautifully by Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago. Hello, Jakey. I love that you just said that, like, by the crew that he sat down with, I mean me, who was not there. Who was not there. <laughs> uh, but Kevin McCarthy was there from Fox 5 of Washington, D.C. as well. Hey, Kev, how are you? I, I was there. Not the other Kevin McCarthy, that, but I was there. Yes, I was I'm there getting, for that. You're getting hammered by political... Uh, all the time. Local tweets. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's OK, though. I mean, I was I was uh, every time I, I slate myself on an interview now, I, I have a weird feeling in my stomach that their person's going to hear my name and just automatically have a, a, a thought about that. <laughs> so I always clarify right off the bat. I'm not that guy. Just just a heads up. <laughs> so awkward. <laughs> uh, hello. If you're watching us on YouTube, thank you very much for tuning into the visual element of the show. We drop every Friday. Um, hit subscribe, turn on your notifications, give us a like and actually weigh in in the comments down below. That is very helpful to the channel. We are learning from the YouTube algorithm. So uh, hit like and like I said, chime in down below at YouTube back YouTube.com nice. real blind podcast. Well, yes, please. I don't know. I don't want to read the comments. Are the people are nice for the most part? Usually yeah. pretty nice. Right. 95% of the time. Yeah, I think so. The other 5% um, Kevin's mom. <laughs> Yes. Have you signed up for Real Blend Premium? You can get an ad-free version of the show. You get a newsletter, uh, not this week, from me. And you get um, an additional segment of the show that drops on Mondays. Always a good time. A crazier segment. Generally, a little more a little, a little more looser. loose, a little more free flowing. A couple of games, usually some games played on that one. Some junket stories. We like to share some junket stories in that one. Somebody was just on the on the Facebook page talking about the fact that they signed up for premium because they were going on a really long road trip. And it made me want to sort of go back and re-listen to a bunch of the oh, premiums to see like how they hold up or how they like, I don't, I don't know how cringy they are. Something, something tells me the premiums might have a, not to like knock our main show, but the premiums might have more of a, a re-listen value just because of how crazy and unpredictable they are. They're like yeah. less, less structured and they're just a little bit more. I mean, we usually start them literally start the episode and usually in the middle of a conversation. Right. Right. And they're not driven by news, which could be outdated right, right, or something yeah. like that. So, uh, it's Gabe Kovach weighing in as well too. Hello, Gabe in the producer's chair. Uh, somebody recommended a fourth square up at all time. For, I think uh, there should be. be in the thing. Gabe, how do you feel well, about this? Well, then the, it would reveal my secret, which is I'm always frantically trying to get you guys to move on. <laughs> That's right. true. Visually, That's a good point. visually, it would just be a square of a guy going. Yeah, Gabe has no time for nonsense. <laughs> yeah, Gabe, just, be my, Gabe just is, be my exhausted face. Gabe is Tarantino's <laughs> favorite real blend member. That's true. true. Real talk, the real talk member. Yeah, yeah. yeah. By but the only way, because only because he thinks I'm his uh, publisher. So, or editor, Quentin's uh, Quentin has a new movie called The Movie Critic. Apparently, we'll be talking about yeah. that a lot. Is it the film critic now. or the movie critic? The movie critic. I think the movie critic. I'm surprised he's so, not calling it the film critic. Well, he's going to be talking about Jaws, not uh, 
The Godfather. Oh, but it takes place in the 70s, reportedly, with a female <laughs> lead. So I'm curious, like, what? Well, speculation is that it's about Pauline Kale. Oh, was she in the 70s? Yes. Oh, wow. And, and around that time in 1979, she left The New Yorker to go work for Warren Beatty for a little while. Oh, wow. And there's, again, he d- he does talk about her a lot. Nobody knows this. Um, this might be uh, that story. But I, I mean, that's pure speculation just from people who think that they're in the know. So that makes sense see. because he mentions her a lot in interviews. And I believe yeah. Yeah, I guess he, he and he just didn't he just do a whole book on 70s films. Yes. Yes. Cinema yeah. Speculation. Yeah. So and, and imagine if he got Uma. See, oh, Uma uh, would be good. I saw someone else suggest Jennifer Jason Lee. That's also a pretty good fit. But Uma, I mean, and maybe I'm putting too much significance in it being his last film. But like the lead should be, I think, one of his Mount Rushmore's. I was really hoping that the lead would be like Uma or a Sam Jackson or even honestly, I wouldn't mind Brad. You know, I I, I love Jennifer Jason Lee, but yeah. it just feels like it could be a great sort of like like him be, back with going to be Mike Myers. <laughs> 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 yeah, a fast bender or something like that. All right, listen, it's Shazam Fury of the Gods week. Um, and, and before we get to David Sandberg, who is a terrific director, I want to plug uh, both of our segments with Radio Silence, the guys who directed Scream 6 uh, on Wednesday of this week. If you guys missed the episode, we did a spoiler filled deep dive into Scream 6 with those guys. Lots of interesting topics that they brought it up. It also turned into me just pitching ideas for Scream 7 <laughs> and them going, sure, I guess. Yeah, very much so. You really lobbied hard for Lori Metcalf to show up in one of these. Hey, I'm telling you, man, Sheldon's mom never goes wrong. (laughs) Uh, I thought you'd go Roseanne. No, maybe that's maybe that's before your time. I forget forget, forget that she's. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But that those are two interesting interviews. You should definitely listen to do the spoiler free one. If you haven't seen the film yet, that was from last Friday. And then once you've seen Scream 6, go into the, the spoiler filled. This conversation. Uh, with it David, is a very Laurie Metcalf heavy interview, like, like which is the only which is the only interview that I think you can say that on Real Blend. Like we went heavy on Laurie Metcalf, like un- unusually heavy on Laurie Metcalf. Laurie Metcalf. The directors gave us a, a look at some point where they were just like. Hey, if you guys interview her, please. <laughs> yeah, that's what they said. If you interview her, ask her for us. Yeah, tell her we said hello, please. We got a message um, from someone today on Twitter or something saying Lori has this coming out or that coming out. Like, Jake, you should ask her. Uh, <laughs> You're which the is that sign people are listening. Ambassador, spokesperson for Lori Metcalf. Yeah. I love the thought of you hunting down an interview to ask. Are to you ask I mean, or if, she, if she's <laughs> returning for a that she once played 25 years ago yeah i, I don't i don't imagine she'd be very hard to get we should, we should really effort her for the podcast i think she'd be an interesting conversation um so without further ado now with shazam fury of the god fury of the gods opening in theaters we have david sandberg returning to the real blend podcast uh, Kevin McCarthy and Jake Hamilton from the Real Blend Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, by the way. Uh, it's an honor to have you. And we had your returning guest. Last time we had you was with Peter for the first Shazam film. Yeah. And honored to have you back on the show. But 
I'm, we're going to just open up with this because obviously there's a lot of news in the DC world and kind of what's going on with all the films and all the connections to things. And I'm, we were just wondering where you're at with Shazam and kind of how that's going to factor into what's going on with Peter and James and kind of what they're dealing with now in terms of you know, rebuilding the DC uh, films and the universe. Like where, where does Shazam going to fit into this? Well, I, I don't know what their full plans are, but, uh, you know, I, I've been told that there's nothing in Shazam that contradicts what they're doing with the universe. So he, he could continue to exist you know in his current form right um so we'll, we'll we'll see did the announcement at all like this like james's announcement which was amazing did that at all give you a certain excitement about where what you could do with like how it would factor in for which is am you mean i yeah. mean the movie was already done when no, that happened. In the future yeah um yeah i mean i i mean i'm just a big fan of james gunn so i i'm really excited to see what they do with the DC. I mean, I think the the announcement was really cool. I mean, I, I've, you know, some some characters I I'm not even familiar with, but they look really cool. And then of course others really big ones. You know, like doing more with like Green Lantern and all of that, and of course Superman. So yeah. it's all very exciting. Well, also, I want to give sort of people a, a peek behind the scenes of, of what's going on right now. So obviously we're in a hotel doing this junket, but Peter Safran is here walking, just walking around the hallways, talking yeah. to people like he's not really doing the junket. He's not doing like traditional interviews, yeah, yeah. but he's just walking around. And that feels like such a uh, a symbol of support and yeah. a vote of confidence for, for you guys and for the movie and for this character and for this franchise. Yeah, I'm I mean, just sort of curious like, what that means to you to just to have him here just saying, hey, I'm just here to support you guys. I mean, it's his movie too. He's the producer <laughs> on it. So, sure. you know, he's, he's pretty invested, I think. Um, it is no, not, I mean, we don't normally see that. Like, we don't normally see a producer just walking around and hanging out. No, I mean, like, P- cool. Peter is great. I mean, he's always, I mean, he was there on set almost every day and like, that's, that's the way he is. I mean, this is my third movie with Peter now. So, He's awesome. Yeah. You know, we were talking earlier about visual effects, and I, one of the things we talked about in the first movie was how you lit up the suit. And, and yeah. one of the things that was really cool about it was that the lighting of the suit actually ended up being lighting that was used in the film. It could light your character's faces. And yeah. um, there's a brilliant shot towards the end of this film, which I won't dive into specifically, where he's walking in a dark area and you just, it just looks yeah. incredible. Um, were there any upgrades in terms of the lighting, how the suit operated? Um, did it, and because uh, for our audience, we're, we're a filmmaker podcast, so we like to dive into like the details about how cinematography and score and everything like that but how does it affect the cinematography process well in the first movie I wanted to do it like all practical like build it into the suit and just keep it that way and it gave us a lot of problems <laughs> to, to like what well I mean just malfunction like technical issues because there's a lot of wires going through the whole suit and you have to change batteries in the back and everything this was your shark in Jaws like this was your like Spielberg getting over the shark yeah. problem there were a lot of shots where it's like oh cut you know the, the bolt is not working <laughs> and then it, it's turned into visual effect shots a lot in the end anyway because I wanted to have a little bit of a pattern and something moving in there so it wasn't just a flat color so for this one it was like well let's not try to do it all practical we can do a hybrid approach you Mm. know so and we I also split it up so that in daytime when that light isn't going to do much anyway it doesn't light up so that's just sort of what the suit looks like and then in the nighttime uh we put like a little light on top of the suit instead uh which so you get the interactive lighting lightning on the faces and everything but uh you don't it's a much less complicated when it's on the outside and you can just take it on or off 
Oh, I see. And could, like, could you give an example of like of a shot where like it does shift maybe from like CG to to dealing with the practical aspects of it? Like, I'm just I just find it fascinating because it looks yeah, so. It all looks, the shots when they they light up, it, it's CG because oh, yeah. they had to take paint out the the light oh. and and you know. So the the light that we had on there was just to throw light onto their faces and the environment. And you can still use that lighting. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just you just but re- you, you just have to then oh. replace the bolt cool. with a CG bolt that looks the way it's supposed to look cool that's i love that kind of stuff Uh, i want to talk about the the post-credit scene for the first film yeah in which mark strong is talking with the caterpillar who for shazam fans know that like that's going to end up being a major character was that ever in consideration for being the plot of of this of the sequel or yeah it was yeah yeah, yeah. no uh, when we started talking about this we actually had the idea that it was Mr. Mind who let the sisters into our world, that it was part of his bigger scheme or plot. Uh, but it was just too much story to tell. Uh, because, I mean, even without him in it, it's still a two-hour and ten-minute movie. Mm. Uh, so it just didn't fit. Mm. You know, we just had to have the sisters come on their own. Yeah, Story for another day? Yeah, why not? Yeah, <laughs> you know, I'd love to see more. That would be awesome. You know, there's a great moment um, early on. I, I like that they keep newspaper clippings of kind of what happens and yeah, how yeah. they're in the news. They're big fans of themselves, right? <laughs> right. I was, but I was curious. Do you remember the first time you saw something about you in a newspaper? Like, like, do you remember clipping anything or looking at anything? Like, like maybe like one of your reviews or a, a film that yeah. came out. Like, like, what do you have a memory of a newspaper clipping that meant a lot to you? Well, <laughs> I got my sort of first viral hit in uh, in Sweden in my 20s where I did a, a pretty crude <laughs> animated short that had a lot of swears and nudity and things like that in it uh, and I remember opening up the local newspaper one day and it was like a screenshot from my YouTube movie and it was this big article this was this politician who was very upset with the movie uh, because he he mistakenly thought that it had been funded with taxpayer money it was like taxpayer tax money shouldn't go to this filth and this stuff like that but that was such a shock to open like uh, because they hadn't reached out to me so I just opened a newspaper and there's like that. that's my movie this is an article about me did you clip it out? of course <laughs> where, where is that where is that now? It's at home in Sweden somewhere did in storage uh, no, but I kept it. That's you so know. cool. That must have been like a, I don't know. I just thought about that, how cool that would be. Cause again, you're in a business where things are going to be written about you and newspapers and all. I mean, now in, yeah. in the digital age, it's not really like a thing that happens as much anymore with clipping it. But yeah, no, but there's a lot of like online articles, which is sometimes a hassle. Cause sometimes you just want to, you know, you're on a subreddit or someone, something, and you just want to answer someone's question. Yeah. But then someone picks it up and it's an art. Oh, the Shazam director says this. It's like, oh no, don't don't make a big deal out of it. I just wanted to. I just wanted to talk to. I just tweeted this. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, Shazam fans know that uh, you know if you follow the comics, at some point Black Adam should be involved in the story in some form or fashion. Uh, there were rumors of an attempt to to potentially try to get the Rock involved in some form or fashion. I'm just sort of curious, like how far that actually got beyond just oh, it would be cool. No, I mean, uh, he was supposed to be in the first movie originally uh, until they split it up into two movies. Uh, He was never a part of this movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, We knew that they were going to do Black Adam as a separate thing. And uh, so, no, that that was never a part of this one. Were you ever in conversation with him about like, how are we going to do this down the road? Or was that a conversation for another day? 
Yeah, I've never met him, so no, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no. I want to talk about Skittles um, because I'm a big, I'm a big fan of Skittles, and I, I, I love that that was like a, a through line in the film. And we were talking about this yesterday, um, and Jake actually said this about it, like it's 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 a really brilliant way to do product placement. Um, I mean, we don't know if it's actually product placement or not, but it, if it was, it was smart. No, I mean it's something that was written in the script as Skittles, and then you know you reach out to. Mars company or whoever and like hey can we use this um, and, and I think it's I'm sure some people will go like oh it's product placement but to me I, I like that more than when you make up these weird yes oh yeah they're, no, they're that's, eating, weird. that's what we're saying they're eating it scattles it's, a, it's a plot point yeah and yeah. it just so happens to be Brilliant. like a a product that all of us <laughs> are familiar with yeah. but it's it progresses the plot forward in a way, which I was just like, that's actually it brilliant. Save the world. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. Well, it's just because I also too, I think we've just seen so many examples of really poor product. Right. Like like, hey, yeah. like man, I'm so tired from saving the day. Thank God I have these Skittles. <laughs> like yeah. you know, we've we've seen the opposite of that. So I, I just think you did a really brilliant way of like making it a part of the actual plot of the movie. Also, yeah. he plays around with the colors, which is really funny too, because like everybody everybody's obsessed with strawberry. Everybody always. Yeah. Is, I mean, I am as well. And the yellow one always. There kinda... was a big uh, debate on that because Henry, the writer, he thought it was cherry, the red <laughs> ones. So that was that's what it was in the script. And people are like, wait, no, 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 that's actually wrong, and we have to change it. And, yeah. yeah. I love that. Because green used to be lime, but it's apple. Green apple. They went back to lime, I think. I don't know. Yeah, the, yeah. the yellow the yellow ones get the um, get the short stick yeah. though. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I love from the first film uh, the very the brief moment where Superman shows up to lunch. Yeah, mm. and just the way you frame it, the way it looked, just like the, the cut to black after that, it's such a great moment. I'm just sort of curious. I had heard that like Cavill it was actually supposed to be him, but like he couldn't because yes. like, of the scheduling. How different would that scene? How would you have shot it? What would it have gone longer? What What are the differences if he had been involved? It would have been longer. Uh, he would have uh, had a little scene there with the kids. It wasn't like anything amazing. I think it the way it worked out is actually the funnier option because it gets it a is. laugh because yes. it's so sudden. Um, but I mean, it would have been cool to have him in there. But I think it works really well the way it turned out. Yeah, you know, obviously, you come from you, you're, you've been making films for years, and as you do these bigger budgets, you still continue to keep, I, in my opinion, the the start of how you start off as a filmmaker. They're like, there's it's still it's still weaved in, and the kind of the the different things that you like, the horror elements yeah. are really there. Um, how much like percentage of that goes into your mind when you're making a film on this scale, and the idea that you still want to weave in those aspects of horror, and, and obviously that there's story points in this that lend to that yeah. because you have a lot of creatures and monsters that can play around with that horror aspect of it. But is that something that's just important to you to always keep within your films, no matter what genre you're working in and like how much, how much does that mean to you that you can still kind of weave those things in even, even in a world like this? I think you need it because it creates a, a real sense of danger or yeah. a real threat. Um, and yeah, makes, makes you more invested in it. Mm. Um, and yeah, I just love doing it yeah. <laughs> as well. Love, love my monsters and things like that, designing them and getting to have them, you know, ruin Philadelphia. What's it like to see those them come to life though? When you design it and then you finally see the full CG version of that character, like, is there a, how do you, how does that make you feel when you actually see it fully realized? Uh, it's really cool. I mean, it takes a really long time. So, I mean, you, you first see the movie and even when you show it to test audience and stuff, that stuff isn't done. 
Mm. Uh, so it takes a really long time before you finally get to see it the way it's supposed to be. Mm. Uh, and that's, that's, it's very exciting <laughs> when you work for like, oh, yeah, we've been in post-production for like a year and finally I get to see what it actually looks like. Yeah. Uh, uh, because yeah, it doesn't look great when it's like previous. <laughs> yeah. Things like but it that. looks awesome in the movie. That's yeah. Yeah. Uh, you and I spoke for television, uh, just about an hour ago and, and you told me something that I'd love to follow up on. Uh, cause I asked you about how you have to account for the fact that other superheroes do exist in this world, yeah. but they're not showing up to help save the day. And you told me a story um, that you came up with an idea to potentially have Batman and Superman in this story, uh, but Warner Brothers said no. Well, yeah, sort of. Because uh, I, I, I was to think, well, you know, we could have like a scene of just outside the dome, you know, where you see like, oh, Superman, maybe he's trying to get in there. Or like, even if you see it on a news report or something from far away. But, but it, 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 if... It wasn't totally serious because it also opens up a whole can of worms. For like, sure. Like, where are they? Where did they go? You right. know? <laughs> they just <laughs> yeah. walked they, away? No, they're like, yeah, we can't do this. Let's go back to the Batcave or something. Was the pitch to actually try to get Ben and Henry, or would you have no. shot it in the way that you sh- we sometimes we see, like how we saw Superman? Well, I mean, it didn't, like I said. We it didn't get that far? So, no, it wasn't totally serious. And I think if, if, if anything, it probably would have been just like on a news report and you just see a tiny figure. Oh, interesting. Like okay, very cool. You know, I told you about this line earlier, but that, that I love in the film, that the most powerful thing you have is you, essentially. I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing it, but the idea idea of like thematically knowing that yourself is the most powerful thing and the most important thing right. and this concept of like all the thematics you deal with with foster care and everything there's so many serious aspects to it the bullying thing to me really hit me because that was me in high school like I mean I, right. I, I remember being beat up like that I remember trying to be nervous to talk to girls and things like that so I was just curious does that come from a place of uh, from for you personally were you bullied in school is that something that you had well, dealt yeah. with what, what nerd wasn't <laughs> no I mean I mean but there's extremities to it and like I, I mean I'm 38 and I'm still in therapy talking about it today and I just wondered like you know when you put that in a film it, it resonates with me and people who probably have been through similar things and not everybody got beat up in school but I mean yeah. I know some no, people it, did it makes it makes it real because yeah. it is unfortunately <laughs> a reality um and it, it was interesting as well because you know having test screenings for this movie you know there were people who were like hey the, the bullies didn't get their comeuppance you know like they didn't they got away with it in this one because they yeah we see them being mean to freddie and and then we don't see them again that happened to me bullies got away with it all the time. i know that yeah. that yeah again yeah. it's it's real unfortunately yeah and it's cathartic to watch it, it really is um, I want to talk about Rachel Zegler, who, who I'm a big fan of. Yeah. Um, you guys cast her in this before West Side Story came out. Yes. Uh, so people weren't even truly aware of everything that she had, the, the, the capabilities of doing. I'm just sort of curious. Yeah, I was. Uh, <laughs> like, so yeah. what it was about her before seeing her performance at West Side Story? And then what was it like when you finally got to see her performance at West Side Story? Uh, well, to me, yeah, she was just one of many girls who auditioned. Uh, but she just had such presence and such she's so charming and so just watchable i mean i think she is really a a movie star uh so we did you know chemistry reads with like her and jack uh but over zoom because of covid and everything and the amazing thing was that it still worked like you could still feel sort of the chemistry and everything um no so so she's amazing and then you know i've found out afterwards just how amazing she is like i didn't know about her whole singing and you know all the the stuff she does on youtube and things like that and like how talented she is that's something i've discovered afterwards Uh, and it's kind of funny how she 
she sings in every other movie. She just doesn't sing in this one. Because I was like, I didn't even know. Trying to like rethink putting in a musical yeah, would you sequence. Have yeah, one yeah. In? Like, yeah. No, I don't think it would have fit. But you know, maybe he could have done something during the credits or something. Like I just spoke to her, and she had nothing but amazing things to say about you. And uh, oh. I, I told her I would tell you that. So she loves oh. you. Then my then the check clear. I was a check. Twenty <laughs> bucks. She said. Yeah. You know, there's one thing about this film like that I love in terms of obviously the way you deal with comedy and you go back and forth with actual reality of thematics as I was talking about. But I was wondering, like, as a filmmaker at the end of making a film do you find a catharsis that you that that you find in your own life after it's over like do you learn things about yourself through the process and i mean obviously as a filmmaker you grow as you make more and more movies but do you find yourself understanding more about yourself through the movies that you make definitely the i mean it's making movies is very challenging but it always i'd never regret it and it's always worth it afterwards because yeah you do learn a lot of things and then you grow and like that's why you i'm always so eager to just make another movie because i learned so much that i now want to apply and, and get to use in another one so um yeah no it's it's i just want to make as many movies as i can <laughs> what's the most important thing you learned on this one that you'll take to the next one um the most important thing um uh, i mean it's, it's it's just learning to work at such a scale uh, for one thing, but it's also just learning more and more uh, about working with actors and sort of what's needed and sometimes how, how little is needed as well uh, with certain things that you don't have to overthink certain things. And um, yeah, it's hard to be specific, but thank you, man, for joining our show. Yeah. We really appreciate it. It's always a pleasure to have you on and uh, congratulations on the film. Everybody can see it on March 17th yeah. in theaters. So I appreciate you, man. Seriously, Thanks, thank man. you. Thank you. Thank so you, David. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly, and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. Naturally, we want to thank our very good friends at Warner Brothers Pictures uh, and DC Films for hooking us up with some additional time with David Sandberg. Shazam! Fury of the Gods is in theaters as we speak. So make sure you guys go see it uh, and be careful online if you want to go into it unscathed, because there are some very important details (laughs) from the story that are now part of the marketing uh, materials. And so... That's the decision that that DC decided to go down. I still think it's a lot of fun. We're going to review it. We'll do a full review uh, on Shazam Fury of the Gods later on in the show. But before that, we have to get to I know it's a week later um, and everyone has talked about the show to death. uh, But, you know, we started off as an awards podcast and we're going to discuss the Oscar uh, telecast that most recently happened, hosted by Jimmy Kimmel. Um, A couple of the awards that were, I think, largely predictable, everything everywhere all at once, taking home best picture, uh, the Daniels getting director 
One of the biggest surprises, I think, was Jamie Lee Curtis taking supporting actress. Even she seemed extremely surprised. Um, Everything Everywhere All at Once doing really well in all of the acting categories. And then Brendan Fraser taking uh, best actor. Um, but in general, Kev, uh, being uh, someone who's kind of on the same page with with, with me lately, and I, I think, Jake, we've been saying that the Oscars telecast has had problems, you know, and, and has needed to sort of overcome some of these obstacles to keep people engaged. What was your reaction to the ceremony in general? How do you think that it played? I, first of all, I loved it. I thought it was one of the best Oscars I've seen in a long time. Um, there are a lot of details of it that I really thought were really special. Like the idea that it really celebrated movies and reminded me why I love watching movies and why I love going to watch the Oscars. Right. I mean, I've never been to the Oscars, but they're 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 my Super Bowl. They just really are. And um, leading up to it, I, I, I kept thinking this is too late for this to be happening on in March because these movies have been out for a while. But then the night of, I was just like so amped and so excited. A few things that I wanted to point out were the detail to filmmaking. Um, one of my favorite moments of the night was the editing award. And if you looked behind the presenters during the editing award, you saw a woman uh, at an edit at an edit machine with film, mm-hmm. like, like actually splicing film. Um, and I also thought the film, the, the show really highlighted the, the importance of theatrical and Kimmel obviously joked about the two people who were most responsible not being there, James Cameron and Jim and uh, and um, Tom, Tom Cruise. Cruise. Yeah. But, you know, it was a show that made me cry. I, I, I don't remember the last time I cried at the Oscars. I mean, like Keely Kwan's per- speech when he said, Mom, I just want an Oscar right into the camera. That felt so, so They're immersive and so, clip so much for the promo next year. But it was so beautiful. And like and, and, and then Michelle Yeoh's speech and then um, just every single moment, every speech from from awards that might not have been important to general audiences, even this like the speeches from the the sound and, 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 and the documentary features and ev- everything. It was the, just the, the really, happy birthday moment, the best live action yeah. short. Like that's, that's yeah, the yeah, most yeah. I cared about best live action short. Yeah. And it was really just kind of a beautifully, beautiful ceremony from start to finish. And I thought Kimmel did a really good job. Like he had a really, you know, I'm glad that I'm glad how he handled the Will Smith thing. I thought he made some funny jokes, but he didn't he didn't spend too much time on it. Chris Rock already did that on his Netflix special. So Kimmel kind of came at it from a very interesting perspective. Like I think he made a joke about Hitch and he was like, the show's going to go off without a hitch and without <laughs> Hitch, which I thought yeah, was, yeah. you know, <laughs> that was funny. I mean, and and and, and the yeah. CGI Friday CGI Friday's joke. So for people who didn't maybe watch the Oscars <laughs> that didn't know the joke that Sean was making, Basically, after the visual effects award, Kimmel came back on camera and he said, you know, they're, they're all going to meet at CGI Fridays after the visual <laughs> effects award. And that was my favorite one liner after an award since Jon Stewart came back after uh, Hustle and Flow 3-6 Mafia won. And at that point in time, Martin Scorsese had never won an Oscar. So he was like, you know, 3-6 Mafia won Oscar, Martin Scorsese zero. It, just, it was just such a funny line. Um, I remember running into him on the street one time and like telling him that and he was like dying laughing because like those are like jokes they probably forget they even said or like the CGI Fridays one is probably something Kimmel was just like a throwaway joke, but it was so funny to me. Um, that being said, overall, I thought it was a great show, great speeches. It felt important. But also, we are in a good time right now in terms of movies. And, you know, with last year with Avatar and Top Gun making the billions of dollars that they did combined. But then now this year to see Creed open to $100 million, to see the box office really kind of thriving. The summer's going to be huge with Mission Impossible. I just feel like we are 
lucky to be back in a period where movies feel important again. They feel I mean, the ratings for the show, I want to say were up a good amount of percentage. I think they did like was it 18 million. I, I don't know the exact number. Almost Jake, 19. Yeah. That's massive. I mean, considering how low these shows have been going and how everything's mm -hmm. been going down. Um, and I, I, I don't subscribe to the idea that the show did better because people were curious about how they were going to handle the slap in this, I think that people tuned in because the movies were strong. I mean, the movie that won Best Picture made over $100 million worldwide at the box office and mm -hmm. then continued to crush it home on demand. These aren't movies that people didn't see. People saw Elvis. People saw Top Gun. People saw Avatar. I mean, these were all well attended films and people really wanted to see Brendan Fraser on that stage. I mean, Whale didn't make a ton of money. But that story is insane. I, I, I will say I thought Brendan Fraser's speech was better at the Critics' Choice Awards than it was at the Oscars. So but I also too feel many like nautical metaphors in there. And, and, <laughs> I could have done without one or two. A couple of whale jokes that. Yeah. yeah. But but yeah. in all honesty, though, I was very impressed with it. I, I thought it was it, it was just designed in a way that made that reminded me and hopefully reminded the 18 million plus people that or whoever watched it afterwards that movies are such a powerful part of our lives and it's not a trivial thing. It's not something we take lightly. I get that you could be cynical and be jaded about where we are maybe in the industry, but I don't feel that way at all. That show felt so, magical to me. It felt magical. Like I was I, very, very happy with it. So here's the thing I can't, cause I'm trying to step back and put my finger on what separated this telecast from, from the other previous ones. Um, and I don't know what it Direction. is, but it was directed. Well, it was it was paced. Well, the awards were in the right place, even the middle of the show when it was the awards that we were waiting for the best actor and actress and everything. Even those middle sections were done well, because to Jake's point, like uh, uh, someone to get on stage and that we don't know, giving a speech and then a birthday moment happens. It just felt so fluid. I felt I felt like I was sitting there going, they must be behind the scenes seeing that this is like magic it felt like a ma it felt like it was like just perfectly floating along i mean that i guess was, but that so seems great. like luck i mean that, that a little bit of that seems like luck because so. you don't know if the happy birthday moment is going to happen so yeah but but but, but then you got gaga stripped down doing oh, that amazing God, performance that amazing it, it, black shirt black pants no makeup uh uh chuck taylor's uh, intimate emotional Rihanna's song made me cry just hearing her sing it the way she did it was just a really beautiful ceremony and then not to not to that whole dance number was insane I hope people see RRR after that it was I loved it Jake what uh what stood out to you well my biggest problem with the Oscars these past few years is that the ceremony and the structure of it and the production of it and the design of it and the direction of it and the the bits that were scattered throughout seemed to be chasing an audience that was never going to watch the Oscars the Oscars right. were built for people who had no interest in watching the Oscars so those of us who did who just wanted to see movies honored and celebrated for for a night were left to these bits that that were strung throughout the, the ceremony. And oftentimes the acting categories were rushed through with uh, images of people's performances rather than clips of their performances. The reason I love this show as much as I did is that it didn't seem to be chasing after right. a, a demographic that wasn't interested in watching. They weren't going after the young TikTok audience. They weren't trying to throw in bits for a younger audience to, to kind of keep things going. Like the, the, whenever they showed the acting categories, they showed what the performances looked like. I mean, there were so yeah. many things. They didn't do 
uh, a joke that they set up at the beginning of the show and it took the entire show to pay off to get to yeah, the yeah, end yeah. and realize that the joke wasn't that funny to begin with. It all felt very old school and traditional to me. It reminded me of the days when Billy Crystal used to come out, tell a few jokes, rat a tat tat, and then, all right, well, let's get on, let's move on. And then he would show back up and then that was it. You remember when Billy Crystal would insert himself into the movies like that? Yes, was a that's, that's, and that reminded that me whenever, really well. whenever Kimmel was in Top Gun. I was like, oh, I was, that, that was the first sign to me of like, maybe we're going old school Billy Crystal. And, and, and it, it, the whole show felt very Billy Crystal era to me, which is um, which is perfect. Kim, and Kimmel just feels so Kimmel is so great at what he does. He, I, he I'm really, a big Kimmel he, fan. He's a really good host. And, he, and, and I, 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 you know, again, I don't watch. Late night shows all all the time, but I watch clips online. But the way he comes out on that stage, there's just there's a I don't know. There's a humility to the way he does his things. I I, I don't know. I find him. I, I listen to Howard Stern all the time. And Stern has him on a lot and Stern talks about him a lot. Kimmel, I, I just think Kimmel's great at what he does. He, he's he's so really I, good. I did a montage on Stern clips where he uh, over the years interviewed the Oscar hosts um, specifically about oh, interesting. like after the fact. And it reminded me how many hosts we've had that I just forgot. Seth yeah. MacFarlane hosted one year. Oh, my God. <laughs> MacFarlane. Neil Patrick Harris. Don't, don't, do, Kevin, do you remember MacFarlane's do opener? Yes, I can, yes, I'm not going to get do. into it, but I, I yes. cannot believe he got away with that. Like, that was... Can you imagine <laughs> yes. doing that now? There's no way. No. Um, wow. Uh, Neil Patrick Harris hosted one time. And oh I just God. completely forgot that Neil Patrick Harris had hosted. John Stewart, obviously, we talked about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because that, that had to be at the time when, because remember, he was crushing it for a while at the Tonys. Right. Oh. And, and then that had to be sort of in the way. But dude, I, I always forget that Hugh Jackman, didn't Hugh Jackman do it? Jackman was one of the best hosts I remember, ever. Like, I remember liking really Jackman because it was like the year that apparently like it was like during the strike where they had no money. And the opening was all about how like things were made out of cardboard. And he like wanted to do a big <laughs> musical number where they didn't have money yeah, for it. Yeah. So it was him doing stuff with cardboard. Yeah. I, remember, I remember liking him. But what I'm what I'm most amazed at is that this show and because Kevin mentioned it, too, like he cried the show. This year made me care about these movies. Yes. Whereas when I'm at this point, because they happen too late, there's there's no question about the fact that they happen too late. They should not happen in March. We are to the point we are already immersed into March movies. And 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 when you tell me that we're going to talk about everything everywhere all at once or Banshees and Minish and it's like no, no, we're, I, I've moved past those movies. But this ceremony made me care about them again, like mm-hmm. seeing Kihoi Kwan get up and, and accept seeing Michelle Yeoh get up and accept um, seeing Jamie Lee Curtis talk about her parents getting nominated. Mm. Oh, my uh, God. Oh, that is, her mom nominated in the same category as her supporting actress I'm, for Psycho. She nominated for Psycho? Psycho, supporting actress, 1961. Who beat her, uh, Janet Lee? I don't know. That's a good question. I, I, I remember interviewing Jamie Lee Curtis on the Universal lot for that for the 2018 Halloween. And I remember going on to the lot, the lot that day. And I remember I think there was a Tony Curtis uh, road. Mm. And then I think and we remember Jenny we had to drive by the cycle yes. house to get there. And oh I remember God. sitting there on that lot and her telling me stories about I remember I, th- I think she told me the great story about watching True Lies with her parents. Um, and I'm, I don't know. I have to go back and find the clip. But like the right. history of her story oh, is insane. insane. I still Ubi think Janet Angela Lee. Bassett. Angela Bassett still should have won, in my personal opinion. But we can dive into that later. Who beat Janet Lee, Gabe? Uh, Shirley Jones for Elmer Gantry. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Who can, do, you have the, do you, do you have the five nominees yeah. for that year? Yeah. So Mary Yuri, I believe, is uh, that name. Sons and Lovers. Janet Lee for uh, Psycho. Wow. 
another Shirley, don't call me Shirley, Shirley Knight <laughs> for uh, the dark at the top of the stairs, which is a great name. I kind of want to a short film version of that. What a um, great title. And then Glennis Johns for uh, the Sundowners and the Shirley Jones winning for Elmer Gantry. Interesting. And what's Interesting. funny is I, have, I haven't seen the film that won. I mean, out of all those five, I've only seen Psycho. But it is wild to think which one remained in, in our culture, in our mindsets yeah, yeah, yeah. Since, that, yeah. since the win. Jake, doesn't the dark at the top of the stairs sound like a really great house kind of movie where yes. you're following like a group of kids? Sounds you know? like almost like, like the changeling where the ball rolls down the stairs. That's good. All right. So in general, all, all of us thought it was a great telecast. Yeah. Um, more of that, please. Yes. Although I can't I can't quite put my finger on what more of that is. I guess it's love of cinema, which you shouldn't have to tell the Oscar producers that, hey, more love of movies, please. But I guess that's what we got away from because it, it returned in full force. But also um, to, to answer your question, Sean, I think it was just the movie slate last year, to be honest yeah. with you. It was it was a phenomenal year. Like it was a great movie year. So like like it, people were genuinely invested in that show because of the I mean, people, everybody's Elvis made a ton of money. People, yeah. I mean, think about all the younger generations who were tuning in to watch possibly Austin Butler win. And they had him front row right next to Angela Bassett. You know, they they, they designed that seating perfectly. They knew exactly oh. what they were doing. Well, do they? Was, I mean, the, the design of let's I mean, oh. you can tell when the Oscars are pretty sure what's going to win by who they have presenting and having Harrison Ford presenting Best Picture. Oh, they knew amazing. exactly. And honestly, even having Halle Berry amazing. present because we knew that Will Smith wasn't going to pre- present Best Actress. So having Halle Berry do it yeah. was like just mwah. do you, do you oh. think when Halle Berry walked out, Kate Blanchett went, ah, oh, shit, <laughs> I, I definitely lost. Wait, uh, uh, also. Also, one thing I'll notice as well, I love the overhead shots of the chairs and the lights. Oh, on the, the lights. Chairs. Oh, that was fantastic. Okay. It was yeah. really cool. The, the only thing I, I didn't love is there was a shot that they would take of the winners from the side that featured like a, in the distance a photo of their character. And yeah. sometimes like they would choose weird photos. Like, like there was a shot of Kihui Kwan and the photo in the distance is his character dying with blood coming out of his face. And I was like, I just remember <laughs> thinking like, surely there had to be a better photo of him from that from that uh, uh, movie to use. Do you ever watch uh, my favorite thing to do now is watch the actor's face after the clip is shown, because sometimes oh, yeah. they're they're so confused as to why that particular clip was used. Mm-hmm. And like I, there were a couple I can't remember the specific ones. I mean, we all knew I knew which one they were going to use for Bassett. That seemed mm-hmm. obvious because it's yeah, a phenomenal sure. sequence. Um but there were a few that I thought I think I remember but I like Colin how they Fair- did Colin this year. Farrell's it was like one see. clip, but it was like also a montage of stuff like it was almost like a highlight reel. Like, yeah, it was focused on one chunk of the of their performance. But they, like there were clips of them from other moments in the nothing, movie. I thought that I thought it was very well done. Nothing beats when the previous winners like a slate of previous winners yeah. came out and talked about them. I they only did that the one year. And yeah, I, thought I guess it just probably, I'd imagine it just took too much time. But like I loved when they did that. Yeah, that was great. Were, What's up, were you were you guys surprised by the movies that got no love at all? Like Elvis. I was surprised along. Elvis got nothing. Um, because of this, right? I, I mean, fate, I mean honestly, Spielberg has directed a few movies that have gone over at the yeah. Oscars. Um, that, Are there that, any others know, that uh, Banshees? Banshees got zero. Banshees, yeah. yeah Banshees but it, you know what's funny is though, like what I, even the movies that didn't win still felt like they were a great part of the show. Like oh, the sure. whole ba- the, the whole bit with Bring Jenny coming out. out. Yeah, yeah, the Jenny thing. Like I, I actually felt like Colin Farrell 
and Brendan Gleeson uh, were having a phenomenal time. Oh, like, yeah. I, 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 like I, Colin Farrell was like, singing the hell out of Happy Birthday, yeah. man. Yeah, they were there. I mean, there's got to be like, like having fun when you, you know? not not that Colin Farrell probably, but like Brendan Gleeson probably knew he wasn't going to win. So I, I, yeah. I like I. I almost like if I feel like there'd be joy in that. Like if you know that you're the guy in your category that's not going to win, just tr- like treat it like you're going to a great party. Like maybe get a little drunk on the red carpet, yeah, sit yeah, down, yeah. enjoy it. Yeah, like just kick back and just cheer other yeah. people on, and and, and just have a great win. Yeah, but and go, oh my god, and then you're a, then you're and Adrian then, Brody. Yeah, I you feel win, a and you, like, you took an edible. You're like you. you, know, you <laughs> funny about uh, uh sean and i don't want to cut you off but real quick in terms of the actress category when michelle yo's name got called think about michelle williams for a second right she because, had to have been prepared no, for that though I, I know that but my point is like you're gonna hear your first name yeah. and you gotta yeah, you, yeah, she yeah. had to like think about the art form of her face she probably yeah. had to wait a beat right yeah. because i mean she probably knew that it was michelle yo mm. or um kate blanchett but Again, when you hear your first name, there's she probably had to practice the idea of, OK, wait for the second name to come yeah, out, yeah, yeah. I would imagine. But yeah, what were you going to say, Sean? Sorry. Uh, I felt bad for Judd Hirsch. You know, how many more opportunities Judd Hirsch going to get? It was really Great. funny after that yeah. scene happened that, you know, the the quick reaction out of Toronto was just like, oh, my God, that, gonna that's win. the scene kind of thing. Yeah. And then it just Maybe didn't that's come for him. If, if I'm a director, I, I say from here on out, uh, I, if I'm a director, I say don't put my movie in Toronto. Like it feels like all the movies that peak in Toronto cannot keep. But you can't that. say that everything everywhere all at once opened at South by. Yeah, but I but I think the thing yeah, is, I think it's better thing. to because I think when you because with Toronto, the Oscar race starts and you have to keep up that momentum with everything everywhere all at once. It was able to come out. It was able to enjoy some acclaim and then it was able to almost rest and recharge for a little bit and mm-hmm. then remerge right at the right point out of Toronto, you almost have to just keep the wheels turning for like six, seven, eight months to, to stay in the conversation. I'd say it's better to come out in March or April and then die down for a little bit and then come back. Cause remember Coda came out in like what late July, August, beginning of August. And with mm-hmm. so even Coda was able to die down for well, a little Coda bit. Buzz, didn't the Coda buzz start at Sundance though? Like that kind of started in, was it? Yeah, yeah, but then, it but then it did. Like, I feel like most people weren't even talking about Coda. Like, honestly, I gotta be honest. Like, I didn't really until we did the junket uh, really watch Coda. That was you, late July. I think it's a fair point about Toronto. I think it's a, it's a fair observation. But how do you argue Venice, which is like what, like a week before or so, and the whale was I there? Mean, but how many? Yeah, but but the, I mean, outside of Brendan, the whale did. I mean, the whale was not Brendan's the contender. It the was whale. going to be like like there were people. I mean, it didn't get picture, it didn't get screenplay, it didn't get director. It didn't. It was not the powerhouse. But whenever I think of the movies that came out of Toronto that were supposed to be it, and I'm thinking uh, the Fablemans, I'm thinking a Star Is Born, I'm thinking Power of the Dog. Uh, I, I just wait. Was Power of the Dog out in Toronto? I think um, one didn't power the number yeah. win. So I'm just I'm just thinking of these movies that just it's impossible to keep. I mean, especially with them pushing back the Oscars to March, you can't keep the wheels turning at that pace from September all well, the way because there's no time to rest. You don't have time to rest if you're coming out of Toronto. Also, you know that's in my opinion the reason Angela Bassett didn't win the Oscar is because uh, it happened in March. I really believe that. I think it's a momentum thing um, because. I really do believe that momentum can shift so extreme, especially with the voting happening so late that like, you know, you'll see this happen a lot. 
she had an incredible momentum. Bassett did. See, the, I don't think with, she with had the, the, the support from that community that we think that she did. I disagree. Really? I, 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 I think she was with the front runner. She, I mean, I'm not saying the Globes are, are connected to the Oscars in any way, but I do believe there was a time period for at least a month or so where she was the front runner to win. And I think as time passed and then with Jamie winning that SAG award, things completely changed and shifted away from Bassett. We all even said this. We even said like that she was the front runner for a long time. And then you think there's still a Marvel stigma. No, I I don't think, I don't think think there's a stigma. I really don't. I don't, I don't think it has anything to do with Marvel. I really, I, I, in that case, I think that she lost because it happened in March. If this Hmm. show happened in January, she would have won in my opinion. Interesting. Um, All right. Well, speaking of would have won. Gabriel. You have the results of our Oscar wager win. I do. The three of us. Three of us. I, gave feel, our, I feel like I feel like all of our Zoom squares are now like the Oscar, like the Oscar squares that are up for like <laughs> when they're about to announce the winner. And then, <laughs> and then, 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 then our nominees. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is a fun year. Really tight year. A really, really tight competition this year. And I'll start with saying that uh, we have a tie. Oh, wow. A second. But I'll finish by saying we have a tie for last place. For oh, last. okay, okay, okay. <laughs> so, Jake, so Jake won, Sean and I tied. It's very close. <laughs> Winning with 14 points to the other two's 13 points. Oh, wow. Very close. Uh, is the, is the, <laughs> the champion himself, Jake Hamilton. Man, 14 right. categories won. Gross. Well Damn done. Right. Well, well, do done. you know what the, do you know what the category that pushed him over? is uh let me see what did kevin actually missed kevin had quite a few outliers with getting production design correct getting uh fraser correct i would say jake and i went austin butler Mm -hmm. yeah uh i think it was maverick for sound that really put him over was the one category over the two okay the one that screwed me was the was documentary i should have gone navalny i just I, I, i and then i would have tied yeah, you but, you had some you had some good ones. So, like I said, you picked up Fraser, you picked up All Quiet yeah. for production and, uh, design. What I did, I think I did. We all say Hurwitz for score. I think or, we did. We did. Megan, yeah. none, of, none of us thought All Quiet was going to dominate the way it did. I thought it would be much more spread out. Did really well. It, it had the Mad Max effect. Jake and Sean also picked Babylon for production design, but that's the All Quiet win that uh, that Kev got. So, oh, well interesting. Done. Yeah. All right. Fraser was Jake, the one that I was uh, that, that was my spicy pick because I, I felt like there was a momentum for Butler. I will say the moment the whale won makeup, I knew in that moment, okay, Fraser's because I, I always thought that makeup and actor were, were going to go hand in hand, which is why I picked Elvis for makeup. Uh, the moment that uh, the whale won makeup, I thought, well, there goes there goes actor. Jake, do you have our punishment handy or do you need a week to think about uh, it? You know what? I, I'm going to take the next seven days and just let and just enjoy <laughs> the moment because, you know, you know, like after someone wins an Oscar the next day, they do the talk shows and they do the photo shoots in their yeah. robe with the Oscar and sitting by their poolside. So I'm going to do all those things. I'm going to take yeah. my photo shoots. I'm going to do my interviews and then yeah. I'll come back to you guys in a week and let you know which unspeakable yeah. project I want to put in front of your eyeballs. Yeah, that, that reminds me, uh, Jake, Variety is going to be meeting you uh, in your apartment. Well, they, they, they know my address because they've been here before. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> damn right. All right. This week in movies, we have one major film that we want to get to and is the latest from DC films. It is uh, Shazam Fury of the Gods. Um, I'm going to go first because I want to talk about Shazam Fury of the Gods. I really like this movie. I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, 
I'll go fast. I'll go relatively quick through it. I think that most people are, are going to check this out because they're curious. I, I want to say right off the bat, I know there was a lot of fear of like this movie doesn't matter because the DCEU is about to get uh, rebooted or soft rebooted. Um, but I still think without giving any kind of spoilers away that it is both entertaining and it's very easy to see how this film can still be considered part of the larger fabric of what James Gunn is trying to do. Um, I liked this is weird. The 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 one person who I didn't really like that much in the movie is Zachary Levy. Uh, I I think that he's weirdly wait, wait, mis- is it, miscast. Is it, Le- is it Levi? Is it Levi? Levi. It could, it could Levi. be Levi. All right, okay. Zachary okay. Levi. Um, I I just I'm kind of tired of his Shazam shtick, but I find everybody else really How entertaining. Can he be, it's like, two movies in. How can he be tired of his Shazam shtick? I I just am like I I'm more entertained by the people around him. Like Jack Dylan Grazer has a really great subplot with Jaiman Hansu that I found to be really really funny. I like the rest of the Shazam family and the different character arcs that they get to develop. I really like the daughters of Atlas. I thought that they were interesting characters, and there are multiple scenes where like you get a scene where Helen Mirren and Lucy Liu and Jaiman Hansu are legitimately diving into this, you know, conversation about mythology. And I'm like, I'm super on board with this. You, these are great actors who are treating this almost like Shakespeare. Um, and so I was in uh, David Sandberg gets to do a little bit with creature design towards the end. I wish he got to do a little bit more of that. That's definitely where his interests lie. He's uh, got a horror background. Um, I liked how this movie leaned heavier into the magic element of Shazam. We explore the lair a lot more um, and and play around with that realm of doors, but also get to meet a new library area. That's kind of fascinating. Um, and it's very clear that the Shazam universe is different from what else you're getting in in D.C. Uh, and I thought the first movie was a little bit limited by its budget. And I think that they put more money into this. Uh, you know, I, I thought the special effects looked really, really good. There's a dome element that gets put over Philadelphia. There's moments where this tree that gets planted, the roots are taking over the city. And again, all the creatures that that sort of happen. Um, you know, is it is it great? No, but I thought it took everything that that worked in the first Shazam and kind of expanded on it. And so if you told me that this team was going to stick together and continue to make a couple more Shazam movies, uh, I would be very happy. Um, Kev, I think you disagree with me, so I would love to hear where you fall on it. Yeah, I mean, um, so I saw a film the other day that was very CGI heavy that I loved so much. And I won't I can't I won't go into the details of it now because we'll talk about it when it comes out. So I, I want to use that as a jumping off point because. When I talk about CGI, I, I, there are films that do it well, that have good writing and good script and good characters, and and, and it's designed well. Um, here, you know, there was it, I just felt like the CGI it, it, at times felt it just took me out of the movie. Um, now, don't get me wrong, I have I have love for CGI artists. I think CGI is a great tool for filmmakers. But there are times where it feels like it can break the immersion for me. Um, And I think that's the art of a great director is somebody like I remember Nolan talked about how uh, Denis Villeneuve like really blended CGI and practical really well in Dune. And, you know, Nolan's a big practical effects guy. And for him to complement Dune, which is has has, you know, has CGI, it's very still very heavy location shooting. Um, that to me is an art form to, to nail that. Uh, that being said, I, I also agree with you. I think Zachary Levi was great in the first one. I love the first Shazam. I thought it was incredibly fun. So much fun. I also love the thematics, the, the, the serious nature surrounding the child and, and, 
and, and the, the foster care aspect of the storyline and and the character of Asher Angel's character uh, aging out of the foster care system. That whole arc in this one is really interesting. The family Those, gets good elements. The family right. gets a really good storyline, which I was happy about. To me, that's the best part of the film is the family aspect of it. Um, I also think Jack Dylan Grazer is great in these. He's my favorite person in these films. Um, you know, I thought Rachel Zegler and Helen Mirren and Lucy Liu were great in the film as well. Um, I didn't particularly care for the storyline, the villain storyline. It just didn't capture me. Um, it This one felt like it didn't have a certain direction to it. The first one just felt fresh and funny and unique and interesting, um, like a PG-13 Deadpool. Um, but then this was kind of more, it felt like they were making a sequel because they had to make a sequel rather mm -hmm. than it didn't feel as inspired as the original. Um, and I think, you know, listen, at the end of the day, I think Sandberg's a really great director. I think I, I actually very excited to see what he does next. Um, this just felt limited to me. Um, even the ending, I just wasn't really big into the way it was done. Um, but yeah, I mean, I thought it was fine. Uh, but this is coming from somebody who loved the first Shazam, a big DC comics fan in terms of the movies. Uh, always have been. I'm very excited to see what James Gunn does continuing on. Um, but yeah, I just, I thought it was fine. Uh, it just, to me, it was disappointing in terms of the first one. I'd rather, I'd watch the first one a million times over than this one again. Um, I mean, I'll see it, I'll see it again eventually, but you know, it was, it was fine. Before I throw to Jake, Gabe, do we have a DC tier list? Uh, we do. I was just actually looking at that right now to see to see where we can. Um, I'll have that ready for at the end of this. Beautiful. Jakey, yeah. uh, where do you fall between us or what's the deal? I, I lean a little closer to it's fine. Um, okay. You know, I, I, too, love the first one. But the thing that I loved most about the first one uh, was the smallness of it, the, the intimacy of uh, more so the boy than than the superhero that he turns into. It leaned more on, on the boy and this orphan. Daenerys agrees. It leaned more huge on, fan, huge fan of the smallness. Um, uh, so I, I, I felt like, um, you know, the, the the elevator pitch we were all using when the first one came out was like, what if big met Superman? Uh and I felt that the reason that I liked the first one as much as I did is that one, it had that Amblin 80s dark edge to it that our kids movies used to have back in the day. Right. But it also had like I, I enjoyed the smallness of like the big side of things. And this sequel leans more toward the Superman spectacle of it. And, and I miss sort of like those smaller moments. Kevin, you're absolutely right. Whenever it's about, you know, Billy and potentially aging out of like those small details, like I'm like, oh, give me more of that. But I felt like that those 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 moments, even them in high school, uh, were, were lessened in exchange for these big, massive, epic uh, CGI filled sequences that, quite frankly, didn't feel different enough. I mean, the, the first one felt really like a thing that we that, that was unique and stood on its own compared to not just the DC films we were seeing at the time, but all of the superhero movies that were coming up or coming out around that era. And this one kind of just feels like it's trying to fit in with everything else that's coming out and just is kind of at the, at the back of the pack. Um, it's there. There are a lot of moments about it that I enjoyed. There were some laughed out loud moments in the script. I do think all the kids have such great chemistry together, but this, it felt like this movie cave, excuse me. It felt like this movie really caved and, just fell victim to all the things that I'm glad it had avoided the first time around. Better or worse than Black Adam? Better. Better, but also better than Quantumania. It's <laughs> a different tier list. <laughs> like, no, I'm like, now I'm picturing, now I'm picturing if we did both universes on one list. Just yeah, the recent. Oh God. All right. Interesting. So, um, um 
Do we yeah. want to pull up the tier list? Do we want to look let's at it? Let's do it. Yeah, yeah, let's give it a shot. All right. Here's our DC. Right now it says DCEU tier list at the bottom there. But I guess DCU tier list? Who knows? Hmm. Who I'm wants to? Go to I'll go ahead, go ahead and say ahead. C. Um, I also, uh, it's to, me, to me, C fits it perfectly and kind of fits in with those movies that are there right now. Interesting. I have not seen uh, this movie yet, so it's on the three of you. I, I'm a B, but, but I'm outnumbered. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a B and I'm a pretty strong B because I don't think the first one is better per se. I like um, this tier list. I'm, 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 sometimes you pull back up the tier list and I've forgotten about them and I see them and it makes me angry all over again, like the Marvel one. But this, yeah. one, this one I'm fairly happy with. It's pretty good. I, th- I think DC's a lot easier to manage. Sure. Wonder Woman 84 should not be a B. That's, we, we made a mistake there. That's a C. That's a C. You're a C. I could, I could see it going either way. I, I think that I probably argued for it to go B because I think I enjoyed a lot of it more I, than I, people I, did. I definitely liked 84 more than most people. Yeah. I like Fury of the Gods more than 84. 84 was a weird that, one. Sean. It's not how it works. I know. I understand that. 84 right, so was a weird one. Not to talk about a different movie, but 84 was a weird one because we saw that. We were like, that was really enjoyable. And yeah. then the world saw it and it was yeah. like, oh my gosh, I was that was a weird. No, yeah, that was a, that was a weird. Movie. It was also such a weird time because it was like one of the first big blockbusters to come out during the pandemic. Like, I don't know about yeah. you guys, but I saw it here at home. Yeah, yeah. I saw uh, for the HBO junket. Max, so yeah. like it was the, the theater. The, did you did they screen it for you in the theater? That's nice. Yeah. They didn't screen it for well, me. Well, no, I, I mean, I, bitches. I, I told, they gave me an option and I, and I wanted to go to the theater. That's a better choice. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to email my Warner Brothers rep like, bitching about something that happened two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll help your case. Um, <laughs> so it sounds like we're a C. It sounds like we're I a C. So. If, yeah. When I finally get to see it, if it's like if it's an A for me, I'll, I'll force us to bring this back up and, and rehash this. But Sorry. we're going to put it. Sorry, we're gonna put it at C. It's in, baby. Chisel it in stone. At C. All right. So I'll be really curious to see how this does at the box office. The preliminary uh, predictions heading into the weekend was 24 million. We're recording this on on Wednesday. But what else can you expect whenever you kind of blow up your universe and they don't really tell anyone if it's worth seeing this? And so like whether we agree with it or not from like uh, how you should enjoy movies. These movies are built on continued stories. Mm -hmm. And if you're telling people like it might not matter, like, yeah. Well, and also like with each weekend, with each passing weekend now, the competition gets a little bit harder because Creed 3 is still there and Scream 6 is now still there. And now Shazam has to cut through all of those. 465 is waving his flag going, hey, we we, we're good, too. To to that end, though, I do I do want to ask you guys, because I as I said, I have not seen this yet. No spoilers. Um, But when the movie when when you left the movie, did you feel like oh, we should continue on, or is it still a gray area? Or- okay, can I, I, I don't know how much I can say, but like, apparently there are two post-credit scenes that when Kevin and I were at the junket, we were not shown. Oh, okay. We were told details of one of them, okay. which intrigues me, if, if there is truth behind it, really intrigues me. Sean, do you, have you heard anything at, at this point as to what the post-credit scenes are and the implication that they have on the future? Yes, but I've heard I heard two conflicting things. I okay. heard one which you is want, very significant, quick, and then I heard one that's like a watered down version of question. Of is, this, is this an interesting enough point that I, we can put us behind a spoiler wall for four minutes, real quick, if you want to discuss them openly? I, 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 I well, I, I just like to know what you heard. So, so Kevin, okay. correct me if I'm wrong. Kevin I'll and be, I were, were real we, quick, real quick, real quick. Oh. Listeners at home, 
full spoilers for a few minutes if you want to if you want to skip spoilers look at when the next segment starts we'll we'll move on after this after this but 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 go ahead yeah and we'll and also we'll like we'll know this isn't a huge deal because by the time it comes out um but we had heard that one of the post-credit scenes involved uh shazam meeting the justice league now what that means exactly or how it's filmed i mean particularly with the shazam films because they love like having the characters but not the actors and kind of shooting that that middle middle tier version uh, of them. But uh, I, I don't know what that means or if there's truth to it or or how the scene plays out. But we just heard that there was a scene. And again, whenever they showed it to us at the press junket, they cut the scenes out and it was not a part of it. So, Sean, what have you heard? I heard that he gets approached by um, Jennifer Hardcore and the um, dude from Peacemaker, like James Gunn's wife. And the dude from Peacemaker. Interesting. Um, and they're recruiting him for the JSA, which was featured in Black Adam. So not the Justice League, but the JSA. Maybe. OK, interesting. And so he, so you won't see him get approached by full on Justice League members. You'll see him get approached by two Suicide that, Squad Peacemaker that, characters. That and they'll seems, say, hey, come join the JSA. I mean, but they're having him join a team from a movie that they've already said is not continuing well i could see them very easily continuing the jsa and maybe bringing in some more interesting characters i mean they lost dr fate you know yeah. you could still have hawkman i don't think hawkman was a problem yeah you just bring in shazam and a couple other do you think this is the last time we see zachary levi play shazam no i don't think so i think they yeah. keep him. okay and i had a conversation with hannah in the dc videos that we do i also don't think that um gal gadot is finished as wonder woman think that she is still very much great wonder woman like it would be tough part loser yeah yeah Yeah. it was cool i love the setup of the joke that like we don't see her at the beginning and so you think from here on out anytime anyone from the dceu is going to be in the shazam films they're going to be filmed in that way and then the payoff is wait we actually got her yeah yeah yeah. one this is this is very not much related but sort of related and i'll ask sean this before we have to go um James Gunn announced that he's directing Superman. My simple yes. question is, do you think he casts a known actor or do you mm. think he well known? I should say maybe a list is too high. Maybe, you know, not necessarily megastar actor or Superman or an unknown. Do we get like a new talent? My guess is unknown. Yeah. I always think that's better. Mm-hmm. For, I guess is going to be something unknown. as iconic as Superman. Cause you're like, yeah. Hey, it's Nick Cage. Like is not what you want. Really, really, really funny. If you brought Nick Cage back, be right. because, of, because of the entire that Tim Burton movie and that footage and there's pictures of him, yeah, yeah. If they were to somehow figure that out, like a Shazam thing, where like a younger Superman <laughs> becomes older, Nick Cage, or something, hilarious. Like I don't watch enough of Superman and Lois, the show that's on HBO Max, but that kid that they cast in that from Road to Perdition, perfect. Oh, is he the son? Yeah, he's the son from Road to Perdition. Get out of here. Yeah. Is his name uh, Tyler? Taylor? Tyler Hoechlin? Yeah. Okay. He just looks like Superman. He looks yeah. like he, he's, he's a great. great. I've actually Superman. heard that show is fantastic. I've heard that as well, too. I need to watch more of it. But like, I think if James finds somebody who looks like that, you know, who do, just it has the, the, the look, then uh, then you go with that. And you, OK, before we go to break, I want to present a hypothetical. Sean, you oh, wake no. up one morning. Yeah. You pull out your phone, a billion text messages like I had yesterday whenever I got out of Dungeons and Dragons and the Tarantino news had been released. Oh, yeah. And you yeah. see you and you think to yourself, oh, my God, news has dropped or something happened. And you check the headline. Kevin McCarthy cast by James Gunn as Superman. Which Damn one? Right. 
Which, yeah, which Kevin one? <laughs> which Kevin? I mean, and then, and then, because because we know Kevin has been at the uh, at the gym a lot. Kevin's been getting jacked. Kevin's looking good. He might be on the NDA. It turns out. It turns out. It turns out that's why he's been doing it. Yeah. He's training for Superman. Damn no, right. Kevin. Kevin is Affleck. Kevin's Batman. Without a doubt. Oh, yeah. He's pulling the. He's pulling the chain and the tire. He's out there. <laughs> he's Kevin, doing if, we, if we find out that you've been cast as Superman for like months now, how long are we allowed to be mad at you before we're proud of you? Like we're not telling us. Like how long are we going to be mad? Oh, at you guys think? would know right away. You guys would know. You guys would know initially. That's amazing. All right, let's take a quick break and uh, come back on the other side and play our blind game. But a note before we go, we're losing Jake. We won't see Jake on the other side. Bye, Jake. Has to go. Bye, Jake. Bye. Love you guys. Love you guys. Love you too. All right, let's close out this episode with a blend game. And on behalf of Shazam Fury of the Gods, we are going with one of the daughters of Atlas, the great Helen Mirren, uh, who has been in countless films uh, over the years and won an Oscar for playing the queen. Um, so you can go with any of those as a choice. I'm going to start with Kevin. Kevin, where did you uh, end up going for your favorite Helen Mirren? I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I actually really like her in the Fast and Furious films in terms of like my favorite aspect of things. But I mean, the queen is the one I have to go with because it's it's the one I associate with her in terms mm. of like just the her disappearing in that role. It was it was a brilliant performance. And, you know, I, I, I know it was a while ago, but I still think of that role when I see her um, just because of the transformation and what she did with it. And um, it was iconic. And I just remember it was also just one of those performances that was just legendary. It just I, I, I remember being so blown away by seeing it. I was I was very happy with the way she you know portrayed the character in terms of like bringing it to the screen. And I think it was Stephen Frears directed that movie, I want to say. Stephen Frears, um, and it was a movie about the time, like right after Diana's death, mm-hmm, when you really yeah. had to wonder how the royal family was going to respond to that. Right. So I thought it gave her a ton of great material to chew on. Yeah, no, that, that's honestly my pick. I thought she was fantastic in that. I mean, listen, I love, love watching her show up in the Fast and Furious movies. That's yeah. when I see Helen Mirren and Vin Diesel driving together. It's awesome. I got, like, <laughs> if I'm going to be honest with you, that's probably my favorite thing she's done. And, and, and But the problem with choosing that is I'm disregarding all of her brilliant, dramatic work and sure. uh, things like that. But I liked seeing her step out of the box and have fun. I loved her in Hitchcock as well. But I think the Queen's my favorite, the best thing she's done. But I do love her in the Fast and Furious franchise. You know, I think the red movies opened her up to Fast and Furious. Yeah. I think seeing her in those movies proved to the Fast and Furious producers like, oh, we can put her in this and she'll she'll right. have a lot of fun. Right. So, um, I went with I went back a little bit further and I chose a Helen Mirren movie that I've always enjoyed. Um, it, it came during a period when a couple of these movies were made. Uh, Waking Dead Divine and films like that that are just inspirational older folk movies um, and it's called calendar girls and it's about uh, these women in a small British town who do a fundraiser every single year. Um, and it, it's, it's gone stale. You know, they essentially keep repeating the same ideas and, and they, ha- they have the idea of a calendar, but they're going to, they're going to shoot fruit and it's just, they, they know it's going to be a failure. Um, but when one of the ladies uh, played by Julie Walters, who was also terrific, um, her husband uh, becomes sick with cancer. They realize the fundraiser is going to go to him. And so in order to make it succeed, they're going to shoot a uh, calendar where all the older women pose nude. And it's just mm-hmm. really funny. Like it's it's extremely sweet. 
and it's extremely charming. And Helen Mirren, I, like, I'm not quite sure. I, I think people knew who she was, but I don't know if they recognize that she could really carry uh, a lead performance. And her and Julie Walters in it together are fantastic. Um, if you haven't had a chance to see Calendar Girls, it's a great example that uh, Helen Mirren can operate outside of a period picture, because I think it's very easy to sort of put her into the madness of King George or uh, the Queen, as Kevin mentioned. But when you um, allow her to sort of flex her comedic muscle, she can do a, a really, really great job. And if you haven't seen Calendar Girls before, give that a shot. So uh, Jake did record a pick for us. Let's throw to his pick right now. Hey, guys, sorry I had to bail on the show early, um, but I did not want to miss out on the chance to pick my favorite Helen Mirren performance. And I got to be honest, I actually normally hate uh, picking someone like one of the most acclaimed roles or maybe the role they won the Oscar for. Uh, so I, I spent a good period of time trying to find something other than when she played uh, Queen Elizabeth. But I just couldn't pick anything beyond that just because what she does with that role um, giving new depth and dimension to someone who most of us grow up knowing, uh, to someone who we, we feel like we've known our entire lives. I feel like she sort of made me feel like I really did actually get to know this person, someone who has to, um, famously keep so much of how she's feeling, uh, internal and, what Helen has to do is take one of the most recognizable people of all time and make us see her in a different light, but has to do so by not really giving us that much because so much of, of, of what she's dealing with after the death of Diana and how she famous or maybe infamously dealt with speaking out about that death, um, it's, it's all inside. But it's there and you can see it. And, and I just feel like she was given so few, few tools to work with, aside from obviously an incredible script, but nothing but just her skills as an actor. Uh, and it wouldn't have worked really if anyone else had, had played that part. So I really did try to find something else, another part, but, um, that's the one I'm going with. So thanks guys. And in addition to Jake's pick, we have some audience picks as well, too. Damien McDonald says her role in the TV series Prime Suspect, which I do not uh, know about, but I will have to look that up. Uh, Matt Karen said Hobbs and Shaw and uh, Gavin Gouge from Tennessee says since it's favorite and not best, he went with National Treasure Book of Secrets, which I mm. forgot that she was even in this. A little bit more Nick Cage talk as well, too. So. Uh, so much participation this week. Thank you guys, everybody for participating uh, for next week. Reach out on Twitter using hashtag <laughs> hashtag action set piece blend. Interesting. Um, yes. And uh, some of them might come from the movie that we're going to speak about next week. Damn right. <laughs> <laughs> because. Holy hell. Yeah, this is holy a, hell. Wait, wait till y'all see John Wick 4. It's, it's a series of your mind. blend game worthy action set pieces. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Oof. All right. We're going to get into greater detail about that. So again, again, hashtag action set piece blend. Uh, use it on Twitter or email us your pick at realblend at cinemablend.com. Our next premium episode is going to drop on Monday. If you want to be part of the premium episodes, uh, go to the description where you're listening right now. Find out how to subscribe to it. It's five dollars a month. 
as mentioned, to get you a bonus episode on Mondays, a newsletter and an ad free version of the show. Uh, while you're waiting for new content to drop, follow us on social media. We are at Jake's Takes, at Kevin McCarthy TV, at Sean underscore O'Connell, at Gabe Kovach. And the show is at Real Blend. Oh, shoot. Um, oh, right. <laughs> Got it. Uh, we'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Until then, who be? <laughs> Hubie and Hubie. Hubie. Barbie. Hubie. <laughs>